And it goes right in with the scriptures. Okay, we're off the Pastor Joe opinion train. Now we back into the, uh, the scriptures. Some people say, well, you know, my, you know, pastors shouldn't talk about politics and all that. Well, don't come to this church, okay? I'm sure, listen, you will find another church that doesn't talk about politics because about the majority of them don't, right? So if you don't want a church that talks about politics, there's 10 more down the road that will take you in, put you in a, a, a vaccine bubble or a, um, what would I call that, a, um, a quarantine bubble. There's 10 other churches that will put you in a quarantine bubble, three masks, two vaccine cards and will uh, UV light you before you come in. Here, we're pro-science, we're pro-freedom, we're pro-America, and we're also pro-the gospel first and foremost. Amen? Is that what we're about here? That's what we're about here. Amen. Okay. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. We are now at chapter 5. We tapped on it a little bit last week. This week, we're going to get more into it. Everybody say, stand in your freedom. Amen. The political message pre-service doesn't, uh, pre-sermon doesn't always fit into the sermon, but today it did. There it is. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Catching everybody up, Paul is writing to these people called the Galatians. They live in Galatia. They are a struggling church. They're beginning to fall for legalism primarily from the Jewish faith. People who are Jews are still wanting to do Jewish things as Christians, and they're forcing those who were never Jews to do these things to be real Christians. The entire point of the new covenant is that it's new. Jesus made a lot of examples about what is new. One of them I was talking about in the first service is that you do not put new wine in an old wineskin. He said you put new wine in a what kind of a wineskin? A new wineskin. So the covenant that we're in is a what kind of covenant? A new covenant. It's not like the old. Now, the morality of the Old Testament remains in the New Testament. God still doesn't want us to lie. God still doesn't want us to have sex with anything other, with anyone other than the opposite sex in marriage. These are the moral codes of God. But what about the dietary laws? What about the ceremonial laws? What about the priestly laws? All of these civil punishments that would follow those laws. Christ was very clear that those things are fulfilled and now there is a new covenant. So when we're saying there's something that is new, we're saying not that God has changed. We're saying God has changed in what he requires of us in our civil laws, in our ceremonial laws, etc. What we're not saying is God changed. Like over here he's a meanie and then over here he's chilling with Jesus and he's nice. There was actually an early Christian cult that believed that. That the God of the Old Testament was a bad God. And that Jesus was from another God, and he is in a different relationship. Uh, he's uh, offering us a different relationship with a different God. They actually believed in a yin and a yang. The Old Testament God was the bad God, the controlling God. And the New Testament God is a beautiful father-like God. That's what they believed. I'm just telling you, it was an early cult, and it was called Gnosticism, and it caught on. It really did. People started to believe in it. In the uh, Gospels, uh, excuse me, in the epistles, some of them are addressing Gnosticism. We believe 1 John is against Gnosticism. 1 John continues to tell us, don't sin and call yourself a Christian because you can't do that. And the reason why he has to do that is because the Gnostics were saying, God in the Old Testament was the meanie and would punish you if you sinned, but now we've got grace, we can do whatever we want, sloppy agape. And so in 1 John, he is now taking on that early cult that then began to grow into what we knew as Gnosticism. That's why he's saying, oh, hold on, yeah, we got grace. 
grace. But if you continue in sin, the word of God does not remain in you because those who are born of God cannot continue to sin. How many have read 1 John 3, 9 before? Let's go there for those of you who haven't. It's on every one of our flyers. So when we're talking about freedom, we're not talking about freedom to do whatever we want. We're talking about freedom from an old covenant way of doing things and freedom now to live in the new covenant. Look at 1 John 3, 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how you know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Now, you might be saying to yourself, that is about as obvious as 2 plus 2 is 4. Why in the world would John take the time to scribble that down onto script and pass it down at the pains of his own life? This would be illegal material at this time. Why would he go through so much trouble to basically say, if you live like the devil, you're from the devil. Why would he do that? Because there were deceivers going around saying, hey, Christ came to set you free from the law. And that means you can do whatever you want now. Isn't that something how that old heresy has crept its way back into modern-day Christianity? Isn't that something when you talk to most Christians today about their lifestyle, how many of them would admit like this, this is how they live. Well, nobody's perfect. I know I'm not doing right, but Jesus loves me. How many have heard those kinds of le that language coming from people who call themselves Christians? No desire to stop sleeping with their boyfriend. Why? Because they're already a Christian. In their mind, I can just be forgiven of this. No desire to moderate their alcohol intake, you know, during the New Year's Eve party. No, no, no need to do that. Why? Because I'm a Christian already. How many have heard this from people before, right? They already, in their mind, say, because I'm a Christian, all of this sinning stuff doesn't matter anymore. I'm good. At the worst, I'll just have to pray more and ask for forgiveness. At the best, he doesn't even care because now he, all, all he can see is Jesus. And they'll get this twisted understanding of the imputation of Christ's righteousness. They get the twisted understanding of forgiveness and what it means to be forgiven. They are leaving all those things out. John is addressing it. He's being very clear with them. If you keep on sinning, like sin is your habit, and we're not talking about sin with genuine repentance. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, we forgive our brothers who sin and genuine repent 70 times 7. Are you guys tracking with me? We genuinely forgive those who genuinely ask for forgiveness. But those who flippantly say, ah, just forgive me so I can do it again. Forgive me so I can do it again. Is that genuine repentance? Are they looking at their sin as vomit and walking away from it? No, they're looking at their sin as something they still want. They're not looking at it as a dog returning to their vomit. They enjoy their sin. They make their sin their pleasure. And so John is saying, look, if you continue in sin with a hard heart, in other words, with a justification that you're okay, you don't know God. Now go back to Galatians chapter 5, please. Here we see Paul saying it in his words. That it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What does freedom look like for Paul? We're going to get there in just a little bit in Galatians 5. What does it look like? Freedom from the deeds of the flesh. It's actually you're free from your sin, not free to sin. Does everybody see the difference? Some people look at Christianity as their get-out-of-jail-free card instead of looking at Christianity as that which transforms them to live a different life. Christianity is not for us to keep living our lifestyle however we want but now go to heaven. That's not Christianity. Christianity is to be totally transformed, rearranged, made a new creation, born again on the inside, and live a new life. 
In other words, if you say you're a Christian and you don't hate your sin, I question whether or not you're a Christian. The number one thing to me that will make the difference in whether or not you live free from your sin is whether or not you see your sin as God sees your sin. Those that I see struggle with sin in their mind, though they may not admit it outwardly, in their mind see sin like a little puppy. It's just a little puppy. It's just something that I keep around. It's okay. Instead of looking at it as a poisonous, viperous snake. Would you let a poisonous snake like a cobra into your bed tonight? No, but you would probably do that with a puppy if you like puppies, right? Any dog people in the house? Just a puppy. Oh, I like having a puppy, you know, sleep with me, different things. But see, that's how people think about their sin. They see it as something, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a habit that I have, and it's kind of cute and cuddly because it makes me who I am. I cuss every now and then. I still vape. You know, I, I, I get drunk at the party, and everybody knows how I am as a drunk, you know. And, it's, and, they, and they treat their sin like it's a puppy. Those who understand that their sin is a venomous snake never want it to have, have anything to do with it. And those of us who have done this for over 20 years by God's grace, when we do sin and we realize we were deceived by our pleasure, because I do believe Christians can sin, given to temptation. When we do sin or give to that pleasure, we are ashamed, we're embarrassed, and we can't wait to get it out of us, get it away from us. Am I telling the truth? It's like my mom when she first moved to Florida and found out that she gets pets without asking. Pet snakes. My, my mom has already killed about three or four pet snakes that have come into her house. Sadly, she's not treating them like pets, but you guys following what I'm saying here? Snakes go around in Florida just wherever you go. There's a snake. Keeps going into her garage. She's not asking for it, but it's there. But whenever that snake is there, she gets rid of it. You see, that's what Christianity looks like. You're not trying to make a pet out of that snake. When you notice that you have sin, and you're like, man, that attitude got the best of me. You're not now justifying it. Conviction comes. I'm not talking condemnation that brings guilt and shame to the point where you don't think you can change and, oh, you're just a poor, miserable sinner. No, I'm talking about that, that true conviction. How many know the difference between conviction and condemnation? Okay, so track with me. When a true Christian sins, and I don't care if you've been saved for a day or for 30 years, a true Christian, when they sin instantly, will begin to feel that condemnation. That embarrassment, I should have done better. I'm telling you the truth. The friends that I see who have been Christians even longer than me, 20, 30, 40 years, when the first pastors that I looked up to had an affair and these different things, you are a prime target to live in sin when you no longer look at it as a viper, as something disgusting. I don't care how long you've been serving God. When you justify that sin, you're giving that sin permission to be in your life. The Bible says Christ has given us freedom. Stand in that freedom. You and I are free from vipers and snakes and poisonous habits in our lives. You and I don't ever have to go back to that. If that was your choice today, wouldn't you make the choice to never go where vipers are or to have a viper in your house? If that was your choice to make or to never get sick again, how many would make that choice? If that was your choice, I don't ever, if I can make the choice never to get sick, I'll never get sick. If I can make the choice, I don't want to be around viper snakes, how many make that choice today? But guess what? You can make the choice right now. I don't ever want to sin again. You can make that choice. I don't ever want to look at pornography again. You can make that choice. I don't ever want to curse out somebody again and in my anger sin again. And Christ will keep you free. The idea that sin is going to be an expected normal part of your life is anti-Bible. Now, once again, can Christians be forgiven if they sin? Yes. Should Christians who sin come under condemnation? No. And think that you're a failure. No, but here's the point. You should never put down the standard of what Christianity is. 
Christianity is Christ-likeness. That's what it is. So there's never a time when you and I sin when we should go, well, that was expected. You know, what can I do? You know, I mean, I'm only human. Christianity should never be looked at like that. Christianity should always be because who lives in me is greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can be like Christ. Because through Christ, I can do all things. I can live like Christ. Because I'm a new creation, I can live out the ways of Christ. Does everybody, can I get an amen? I need some feedback on this. Go with me to John chapter 8, verse 31. Because I didn't get a lot of time to spend on this last week. And I want to encourage you today at the first of the year that you will live free. Live free from sin. Live free from temptation. Of course, live free from religious bondage. That's the context of this. But also live free from sin. Look at what Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you will really be my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Somebody say, set free. Amen. Now just swipe over to Galatians and see we're in the same context here. You have been set free. Why have you been set free? For freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has done what? Set us free. So then stand firm then that you don't let yourselves be burdened again to a yoke of slavery. That could be to religion of uh, things that come outside of the scriptures as a religious outside force. That could be to your own sinful desires. Now go back to John, please. Now go down to verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus gives us this clear understanding of how freedom works. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you. Now when he says those two words, very truly, he is reiterating himself. Sometimes people say, when you're in a conversation and you use the words honestly, honestly, they go, what were you doing before, being dishonest? You ever anybody be a little smart aleck with you? Well, honestly, well, this is what I feel. Well, why, what were you doing before? I, I mean, I've had people do that to me. Do you know that that's not uh, inappropriate language use? Jesus talked like that. Jesus said very truly. You know what that means? Honestly, listen to me. That is literally what he is saying right here. When he uses the phrase very truly, he wants you to stop Hear this and understand the next words that proceed out of his mouth are going to probably be shocking, unbelievable, but he wants you to remember what he said first. This is true. So when you preface a statement with honestly, and I don't know how you use it, but this is how I use it, it is appropriate to say honestly, and then you go on to say something. That's a good use of that word, honestly, because what you're saying to somebody is I may say something you don't like or something that's hard to believe or something that, you know, it's going to go against the grain here, but I want you to know that I've thought about it and I'm telling it to you honestly. Now, I know some people use words without, without thinking, but that's how it's meant to be. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. See, right there, we would go, well, I don't know if I was a slave to sin, Pastor. I wasn't on drugs before I became a Christian. I was raised in a Christian house. I don't know if this applies to me. Listen, very truly, honestly, Jesus is speaking here. Everyone who has ever sinned, whether it's my children over here with my wife or you or the crack addict, anyone who has ever sinned became a slave to that sin, period. Doesn't matter your upbringing, your religious beliefs, everybody who sinned. And as true as that is, keep going. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Now we understand if you die in the state of being a slave to sin, you don't go to heaven to the father's mansions dwelling with the son. It's clearly stating that right here. Now look at verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
So now what do you get from Jesus? And we could keep reading with the same intensity, but I want you to get this first point and not miss it. What do we get from Jesus? Very truly, if you sin, you become a slave to sin. If you die or remain in that slave to sin, as a slave to sin, you have no place in heaven. But if you allow the Son to set you free, you will be free forever. You will be free indeed. You will be thoroughly free. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Thank you. Now, going back to the notes, doesn't that sound like what Paul is saying as well? Sometimes people say Paul doesn't quote Jesus enough. Maybe he's not familiar with Jesus. The Jesus writings of the gospel came after Paul, but Paul knows the Jesus of the Bible very clear. He's clearly using the language of Jesus. At that time, it would have been the oral traditions of Jesus. He says it is for freedom that Christ sets you free. Wow, Jesus talked a lot about freedom, didn't he? So what are we supposed to do then? Stand firm that we do not allow ourselves to be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now going to verse 2, he's going to make it applicable to those who are telling them they have to follow these religious rules of circumcision that come, to the old, that come from the old covenant but do not come into the, uh, from the new covenant. They come from the old and not in the new. He says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Highlight, please, if you let yourselves be circumcised. This is why I care so much about my Roman Catholic friends and Orthodox friends or others of different uh, Christian beliefs. I'm not talking Mormons, Jehovah Witness. I'm being very specific. Those with Christian Trinitarian beliefs. Jesus died on the cross, was born of a virgin, he'll die on the cross, buried, rose again. In other words, they could say the Apostles' Creed. This is where I have deep concern for them, even my own relatives that are Catholic. Paul says, if you do something in another covenant, this is not even a man-made law, okay? Praying to a saint is a man-made law. That's in zero covenants. Everybody tracking with me on that? Come on, are you listening to me? Show me in one covenant, old or new, where they prayed to anybody but God. You cannot, okay? Show me in one covenant where you gave money for forgiveness, indulgences, okay? Show me in one covenant, even in the old covenant, where the priest had to have his, uh, excuse me, you had to confess your sins to a priest and had to have a priest forgive the sins. Show me that in any covenant. The priest didn't forgive sins. The priest did not absolve you of sins. Okay, are you guys tracking with me? In this context right here, there is actually a command in the old covenant that says to be circumcised. Now watch this. It's from the lesser to the greater. If in the new covenant you take a law from the old covenant and place it where it doesn't belong, you can be cut off from Christ. See how serious that is. You can go to what Abraham did, what godly people did. Remember, none of them prayed to saints. None of them gave indulgences for forgiveness. None of them went to a person for their forgiveness in that way. None of them did that, okay? But yet, some of them, or mostly all of them, were circumcised, right? But Paul says this, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ is of no value to you. If that's the way it works for misplacing old covenant laws, how serious do you think it is for making up laws and putting it into Christianity? I'm going to say that again so you don't miss the weight of it. If you can get in trouble in Christianity by misplacing an Old Testament law, not understanding how it works, misplacing that law into the new covenant where it doesn't belong, how much more severe 
do you think the penalty is for those who go totally outside of the Scriptures, make up things, and then tell Christians to do it? That's why, to me, praying to saints is just not another thing they do that's different than us. It is something that they're doing opposite of the Scriptures. And if Paul told people in Galatians, hey, you misplace circumcision, you start telling people to do this, you're outside of Christ. What do you think he's saying with people with the sanctuaries or uh, these altars they build to their saints and to the candles? I mean, this is so far from the Scripture, you couldn't even find it if you had all your life to read the Bible. It doesn't exist. I fear for people that do this because it's man-made religion. In the Old Testament, it wasn't man-made. It was God. God wanted us to be circumcised. It was for health purposes, and it was for covenantal blessing. You were supposed to be, or they were supposed to be, a separate people. They were not supposed to look like everybody else from the, from the uh, pri- private parts to the parts you could see, from the public to the private. Their diet was supposed to be different. That's why they didn't eat what everybody else ate. That, their, their clothing was different. They didn't wear what everybody else wore. And God was very specific. This is how you live in this covenant. Like how we go to church, take communion, do these things for Christ. That's how they live for the God that they followed and our God, you know? And so when we look at these commands and go, look at how serious it is to misplace them, what are we supposed to do with all the man-made traditions? We're supposed to get away with them. Now watch this. Here's the play on words, and I'll give it to you at the beginning here. Paul basically says to them, if they want you to cut off your foreskin, I want them to be cut out of your church. That's the language he's going to use. He gets pretty snappy. Can I get an amen for some sass? A little snappy reply back from Jesus, uh, Paul here, being inspired by Christ. They want you to cut off stuff. I want them cut out the church. In another place in Corinth, he says, if they don't listen to me, stop listening to them. They don't care about what I say. Tell them we don't care about what they say. He's laying down the law. Now look at this. He repeats himself quite often in the book of Uh, Galatians, as Jesus would use the phrase, truly, truly, Paul says again, remember he's already done this. Let's go to the scriptures, Galatians chapter 1, uh, verse 7 and onward. Notice how Paul makes things emphatic by repetition. In Galatians chapter 1, he calls this a false gospel. He says, uh, let's look at verse 6, please. Thank you. He says, I'm astonished that you are quickly, so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Look at verse 8. But if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. There are people that have said they have seen visions of Mary, the mother of uh, Fatima, and have given them visions of what Mary said to do about praying the rosary. My Bible says that thing was cursed. That was not Mary, and it wasn't an angel from heaven. That is a cursed spiritual being if it wasn't just them having bad pizza the night before. Are you guys listening to me? Because if any spiritual being appears, that's Paul talking. If any spiritual being appears and tells you something else other than what I'm telling you, don't you listen to them. Joseph Smith never would have started the Mormon church if he would have rebuked the spirit of Moroni as a demonic spirit. He never would have got that demonic revelation. All these people who say they're prophetic and all of this, getting these different revelations that twist the scripture, they never would have believed any of those experiences as gospel-oriented experiences if they would have took control of those spirits or those ideas that they were getting. The Bible says, test the spirits. You can be emotional in the wrong spirit. You can feel spiritual, but the wrong spirit. 
That's why you don't believe everything that's told to you by your experience. I could hoop you guys, uh, whip you guys up with some hooping and preaching and tickle your forehead and drop some oil on you. And then after those spiritual feelings you would feel, I could suggest to you whatever I want you to believe happened in those moments. Come on up here. No, don't move, but I'm just going to give you an example. Come on up here, brother. I just want to tell you, man. No, I'm, as an example, as an example. Come on up here, brother. I just want to tell you, you're, just, you're going through things. Man, I can see it. See it all over you, man. Somebody get the oil. Somebody get the oil. See it all over you, man. You're going through stuff. Let's wipe this oil here, man. Listen to me. God loves you. He wants to set you free. Ah, Jesus, get it out of him right now. Oh, I feel Do you all feel that? I felt it. I felt, I felt it when you did that. Come here. You feel that? That's, that's, that's the Holy Ghost. Look right here. Let me put my, put my hand right here. That's manipulation. You understand it? People use this, and then they say, now let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened. You came here. You had three spirits on you. I saw them. You see them like me? And I mean, what's the person going to say? They're in front of all these people. It's like at a Tony Robinson conference. You're going to agree with whatever person said, you know. Did you feel it when I was praying for you? Do you know that your body is sensitive to touch and, and, and looks? Do you know that sometimes you feel somebody's looking at you and you look and they're looking at you? We are spiritual beings. I start praying for you. You might feel hot in some places, chemicals being released, you know. Did you feel when I was praying for you? Oh, you felt it up there? Yeah, yeah, I bet you did feel it up there. God's doing something in the back of your mind right there. That means the something about your past. Of your past. I could shuck and jive you with spiritual terminology, and let me just tell you this. This is a blight to Pentecostal Christianity. It's an embarrassment to our movement, and I will not stand for it. And yet, people do this to the point of false doctrine, and people get deceived by it, and they say, well, I felt it. Ah, I felt spiritual when he, ah, when he did it, I did it. And I felt like something came out of me because people are desperate. We're hurting people most of the time. We're going through self-doubt, right? Most people, unless they're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, are in self-doubt, emotionally hurting, hurting, broken from the past. Now, once again, does that discount everything that I just did? No, you may see me do something similar to that, but I'm not going to do it out of manipulation, if God tells me to have this young man stand forward, I'm going to do it the right way. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, if I don't know the difference between your technique, then how would I know the difference? By the Word of God and what I'm preaching to that man. If I'm preaching to this man things you can't find in this Scripture, then you know I'm manipulating him. But if God gave me a genuine Word, I don't have to make up Scripture. I can teach him the scripture while I'm given a prophetic word. And the experience he has will be genuine because the God of the Bible will be confirming his word with the signs that follow. And so often we as Pentecostals, we fall for the circus show. That's why when I uh, put this up a while back on my Facebook feed, I wanted to see who could, who could be tricked by it. I put up a homosexual bishop shouting and hollering at the altars and people falling out as he's praying for them. And then I said, isn't this an amazing church service? And then at the end, I screenshot him and his homosexual husband. And I said, you were just listening to a homosexual bishop preach and pray and speak in tongues and people fall out. See, you wouldn't know unless you knew the word. And you test their spirits. And so Paul is saying, again, I'm telling you this. Notice the repetition. If anyone preaches to you a gospel other than what we preach, let them be under God's curse. Verse 9, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul went to cursing, y'all. Go back to the notes, please. Galatians 5. He says, listen, 
If you get circumcised, Christ is of no, no value to you. Again, I declare to you, whoever lets himself be circumcised is obligated to obey the whole law. Go to James chapter 2, verse 10, please. This idea that you can take some of the old and mix it with the new is anti-old and anti-new. You get neither. The old covenant is fulfilled. There's no way to even go back. Why? Because you can't even have a temple and animal sacrifice. So it's not even meant to be brought into the new. But if you try to mix the old with the new, you have lost the new. Notice what James says here in James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, for that, for he, for he who said you should not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not murder, but you committed, um, if you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Does everybody see that? So that's for people who go, well, you know what? I haven't murdered anybody. Well, have you had adultery? Adultery of the heart, even Bible says, you know, lusting after your heart. Have you taken the name of the Lord in vain? Have you broken these other commands? And most people be like, yeah, I have. You know what you are according to the Bible? You're a lawbreaker. If right now you get stuck in the snow and someone with a truck comes to pull you out and they got a 10-link chain, does it matter which one of those chains break while they're trying to get you out? No, because if it breaks, what happens? You're still stuck. You're not moving, right? It doesn't matter if it's the first link that breaks, the middle one that breaks, or the last one that breaks. Any of those 10 links break, you're cut off from your rescue. James said it very clearly. You try to live this out by the law, you want to go back to the Old Testament. Like I said, still can't happen because you don't have a temple with sacrifice. That's purposely why God allowed it to be destroyed in 70 AD for him to show the Jewish people, get out of that way of doing things, do it this way. But even if you said, well, I'm going to try to keep all the morals of the Old Testament, do you think you're going to be able to do that? Absolutely not. And then if you break one, what happens? You're cut off from God. Adam and Eve, how many sins did they commit? One, cut off from God. That's what the Bible is saying, going back to, to Galatians. He's saying, if you think you're going to do part of this, like you're just going to get circumcised and then go about your way, no, 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 no. You better start doing the 612 that are left because there's 613 you need to do. And the Bible says clearly you can't do it all. That's why Christ came. See, the law was an ideal that most people could not live up to. Very few do we see in the Bible lived up to it. And even when they did, they still sinned at different times and they needed animal sacrifice. Verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Highlight, please, you have fallen from grace. This is why we believe in backsliding. So I don't want to make you feel insecure in your Christianity, but I want you to understand in Christianity you can come out. Jesus, as I've always said, is not a divine kidnapper. Once you get into his white van, it's not that you can't leave, okay? Get them, angels. We got them. Shut the doors. Lock the door. There's no windows. It's just a big white van. You know what I'm talking about, the old 70s movies there of the 80s. That's what kidnapping vans looked like, sadly. It's been a, you know, based off of the truth, but that's not Jesus. Jesus isn't, hey, you want to go to heaven? Okay, let's just lock the doors. You can't get out of this now. You can. You can leave. You can be cut off. Now, some people ask, well, is this because of our sinning? Does my sin automatically cut me off as that example you were giving me before, Joe? No, it doesn't. Because in Christianity, we have grace even when we sin to be forgiven. So in other words, it's not like you get born again, and then if you sin, you lost your Christianity. You have to be born again again. And then until the next time you sin, you get born again again. That's not Christianity. 
There is what we would call a buffer, a grace buffer in Christianity that allows the Christian to grow in their Christianity while they may sin. This is that partial truth that those take uh, Paul out of context, as we talked about before with the Gnostics, that then hear that and then go, oh, so it doesn't matter how much I sin, God will always forgive me, I'll just stay in sin then. No, 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 see, there's two ditches that we have to avoid. The one ditch is, is that I can live in sin however I want, and it doesn't matter to my spiritual life. That is a ditch. The other ditch says, if I ever sin, I'm no longer a Christian. Does everybody see the two ditches? One says, I can sin as much as I want. It will not affect me spiritually. The other one says, if I sin one time, I'm going to hell, and God doesn't love me. Why do I even try? That's the other ditch. What does freedom look like? Freedom looks like avoiding sin, but if you were to sin, you don't remain in it, and you don't allow the condemnation to bring you down. You keep walking in holiness. You get it? I don't remain in it. I sinned. Okay, I sinned. I'm not proud of it. I'm not making excuses. I'm willing to admit it. And at the same time, I'm not going to come under condemnation and allow myself to get depressed and give up because I feel like now I'm not a Christian anymore. No, I'm going to have what is called conviction. And conviction is not condemnation, nor is it being approving. I'm not approving of it, and I'm not under condemnation. Can I get an amen? A lot of amens here. Thank you. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. And that's looking forward towards meeting Christ face-to-face, resurrected body. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Let's go to Romans 2.28 and look at your neighbor and say, we're just about done with the introduction. We're just about done. Introduction, we just about covered it. We'll get into the new stuff. Are you guys ready for the new stuff today? You guys good? Okay. Notice what Paul said elsewhere. How many know Paul, if he's a good teacher, he's not going to contradict himself? This is what he says about the same subject in another portion of Scripture. A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the what? Circumcision of the what? The heart. Thank you. By the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from, is not from other people, but from God. So what was the point of circumcision in the Old Covenant? Going back to the notes, please to prepare us for the understanding of circumcision of the heart. When we look at the Old and New Testament, we may ask ourselves, why did God allow there to be two covenants? Why didn't he just start with the new? Why didn't just, you know, just Jesus come and the Virgin Mary comes, you know, like that's Eve, you know, like Eve, just they sin, and then Eve has a baby, and then Jesus comes, and then here we go. That's going to be a question we can get further answers for in heaven. But the best that we get from the scriptures to give us the understanding of it is that God wanted to bring us to the schoolmaster or the tutor as humanity. Galatians, we've already read that. How many remember hearing that? That it says he gave the law, this first covenant, as a tutor. And here's the beauty of it and the reason why I think it's so important is because unless we understood the shadow we wouldn't know the purpose of the reality. Remember, I asked you this question before. What would you rather have, my phone or the shadow of my phone? Which one do you want? The phone, not the shadow, right? And the Bible says in Colossians 
that Jesus is the fullness of the law and that the law is just a shadow of who Jesus is, right? We read that? Okay, you guys forgot? Go back to Colossians chapter 2. Sorry, uh, guys, we're going to be here a little bit. We're going to be here a little bit longer. Go to Colossians chapter 2. I want everybody to see the difference between the fullness and the shadow, the reality and the shadow. Go to Colossians chapter 2, and since I have to find this for you, it might take me just a minute. Chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath. How many know that's exactly what they used to judge you by, and you could die for those things? In the Old Covenant, I got one amen from my administrator who's been to Bible college. I want to make sure we all stop and pause and understand. Joe didn't just make up stuff, okay? I'm going to ask the question again. How many understand, and I'll take another trip on the magic ship of the Old Testament if we need to here, okay, to show you this. But I'm just going to ask you to take me at my word to save us the trip to the Old Testament now. How many understand that in the Old Testament, that's exactly what they judged by? If you ate the wrong thing, that's a problem. If you did something on the Sabbath, that's a problem. Did anybody ever hear the story about the man picking up sticks on the Sabbath and he was stoned to death? Okay, a couple people. I'm going to Google it right now if you need me to go there with you. Let me go there. Google it right there. Picking up sticks. Let's go there. i got to preach a little bit more to you guys. Picking up sticks, Sabbath. I don't want you to take my word for it because I think too oftentimes we do. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 15, verse 32. Yeah, I go through the Bible in a year, and you got to do these kinds of things. If not in a year, just on your, your own schedule. You need to be reminded of where we're coming from when we talk about the Old Testament versus the New Testament. This was not pointless, by the way. And when I was mentioning before about the, the cult that said the Bible uh, gives us two gods, there's multiple gods, and the God of the Old Testament's a bad God, and the God of the New Testament's a good God, they're not just making that up out of thin air. They had good reasons, and one of their reasons was reading something like this. So I want to see how this sets in your conscience right now. So I want you to hear this. This is your Bible, according to the Scriptures, your one God allowed this and commanded this. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found smoking crack and, and pimping prostitutes. Is that what it says? Okay. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was date-raping kids at the college campus. Is that what it says? It says, while the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath. Picking up wood. Right here. Here's a piece of wood. Picking it up. Picking up wood. Everybody get what he's doing. Says it in the phrase. What is he doing? Picking up wood. Is he beating somebody on the head with the wood? Is he using it to cook up drugs in a meth lab? Is he using it to build a brothel? No. Picking up wood. That's what he's doing. Picking up wood on a day called the Sabbath. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron. See, they're judging him. Don't you judge me. You wouldn't have liked the Old Testament too much. Hey, we see this guy picking up wood. Brought him into custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Now they're going to ask God. Okay, God, you told us not to do work on the Sabbath. And remember, it doesn't say then they asked a tooth fairy. It doesn't say then they asked the devil. It doesn't say then they got high, smoked peyote, and talked to the spirits of the horses. 
They don't know what to do yet because the law is still being given to them. But they were told, do not work on the Sabbath. And here's some guidelines. Don't walk this far. Don't build something. Don't do these kinds of things. Won't go good with you. Then the Lord, your God, then the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. This man dies. The whole assembly must stone him. Well, I don't know if I agree with it. Take a stone and stone him or you're going to. Get this. Come on. Welcome to church. Here's a stone. Imagine this. Your friend's sitting right there. What was he doing? Picking up, picking up wood. You take that. You throw it as hard as you've ever seen a guy throw a baseball. Skull cracks. Face shattered. It's a bloody mess. This man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took up a protest against God and got signatures to say how mean God was and said, we're not doing it. We're making Oprah our leader now. Is that what it says? So the assembly took him outside the camp, stoned him to death. As the devil commanded Moses... As the tooth fairy commanded Moses, as your God, the Lord, commanded Moses. Now, how does that set in your conscience, in your 21st century American conscience right now? You see, this is what we're talking about, and I don't think many of you get it, and I'm glad I took the journey right here, because many of you think like the cult that I described. You think this is a mean God. And if you wouldn't admit it to me, you would certainly live like it and think you have to explain away that God and all the naughty things he did. Now in the New Testament, is so much different because Jesus is so loving and that Lord is so bad. Do you know who I believe, and I've showed you before in other scriptures, who I believe the Lord is in the Old Testament visiting and speaking with Moses? Who do I believe that person is? I believe that's the pre-incarnate Jesus, and I've shown it many, many times. There's the Father who he can only hear but not see. There is the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit that he experiences, and yet there's a person that he's always talking to face to face. Sounds like when Jesus is on the mountain of transfiguration, he hears the Father's voice, and then Moses is there talking with him, and then what else? The Spirit of the Lord is there. And the disciples said, wow, what should we do now? They saw Jesus as Jesus has always been, the pre-incarnate God of the Old Testament. He's not the Father, but he's the Son that's always been coming and interacting with us while the Father's been on his throne. The Son comes and interacts. Are you guys tracking with me? Now going back to Colossians, let's see how important this is to you now. How many know it's important now to, to decide whether or not we judge the person picking up sticks today? I don't have time to defend our God's morality, but the first place I would start is where do you get morality without God? You don't get it from the goo to the zoo to you. So hushy, you're mouthy. Unless you believe in a God, I don't even want to talk to you about morality. I have a problem with the evil God of the Old Testament. I have a problem with you talking nonsense as chemicals in your brain coming through the moist robot that you are. Because according to evolution, you're a moist, wet robot without any free will. You're the byproduct of chemicals. And just this chemical doesn't like that chemical and what it did to that chemical. And I don't care about your chemicals. You're just stardust. So unless, number one, you want to admit there's a God who gives morality, now we'll talk morality. Number two, God commanded. We needed to obey. God punishes. Deal with it. It's the God of the heavens and earth. You want to make a false God that's nicer than that. I've heard pagans try to do it. Let me see your coaches, your leaders, your gurus, your prophets. Die for your sins. Be buried and raise again. That's what my God did by sending his son. 
game over. Your Muhammad is still in the grave. He was poisoned by a Jewish woman. All your gurus who said they could walk on water, ascend to the, 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 you know, the, the nirvana and all of that, they're dead and buried in your mausoleums and your monasteries and all of those things. Our Jesus has an empty grave. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back, and he's coming back not as a baby in a major, but to do to what they did to that man with stoning to a whole bunch of other people. The Bible says hundreds of millions will die on judgment day. The blood will be as high as a horse's head. We take this serious. So it's up to you on how you want to believe these scriptures, but we take them serious. So why is it we do not implement that judgment? Because those things, verse 17 are a shadow. Let me just back up to 16, read it thoroughly. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. And everybody goes, okay, I'm glad they ain't judging me like that. Okay, okay, we're good. We're good now. But what were these? What was the point of this? Was this man's death arbitrary? Was it pointless? Was this just all the meanie God of the Old Testament? No. These are the shadows of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The seriousness you saw in the shadow was coming from the reality of Christ and his judgment upon the earth. Christ will judge the earth. Learn it from a Sabbath breaker. Now we don't have Sabbaths to keep. We have other laws we keep. But you better understand the same one that brought that shadow is coming with an actual hammer. You can see the shadow of the hammer or you can see the actual hammer. Which one do you think is going to hurt more, the shadow or the actual hammer as it's coming down? Jesus is bringing it down. He's bringing his judgment. But thank God, what does he do before this? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. See, even in that beautiful scripture is a threat of perishing. You don't do it this way, you perish. Going back to our scripture notes. What is Paul, to the notes please, thank you. What is Paul concerned about? He is concerned that they're missing the real Christ for something that was only a shadow back then. And in doing so, they're going to lose it all. They're going to get cut off. But what was the point of the circumcision? It was for the heart. What was the point of the Sabbath? To teach them to rest. And how many know we need that in this culture? to rest and to believe that God has a plan for your everyday life and you don't have to grind, grind, grind until you lose your mind. You don't grind until you lose your mind. You do grind at the right time, amen? And you trust the Lord even though uh, it's hard sometimes to rest. In the rest is a refreshment and a power. That's, that's what we learn. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's where I ended last week. I don't want to end there this week, so let me just go on a few more verses. You were running a good race. These people didn't believe they had to do all those things to be saved. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? So someone has deceived them. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. So there's a little bit of yeast here that's working through that batch of dough that's making it change. 
And this is the example that Jesus gave of what happens when you start mixing religion that we would call false religion with God's uh, plan for your life is it goes through it all and it, it impacts everything like yeast. It spreads. He says, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. He's saying to them, I hope you don't change your mind on this. It looks like you're, you know, you're, you're, you're deciding. So don't go and do this the wrong way. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever they, that may be, will have to pay the penalty. So he doesn't even necessarily know who this false teacher is, but he's saying whoever this is, like we would be able to say it's the Pope. Like that person, they're going to pay for this. This person who taught you this, they're going to pay for that. That's what he's saying. He, but he says in the literal context here, I don't even know who's causing all these problems with you guys, but I hear about it. Now he says in verse 11, brothers and sisters, this term of endearment, if I am still preaching circumcision... Why am I still being persecuted? Because the biggest persecutors at that time of the Christians were the Jews. So he's saying, hey, if I was doing it for the Jews, I would be teaching persecution. I mean, I would be teaching circumcision. They wouldn't persecute me. In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. So they wouldn't have a problem with the cross. Now look at what he says in verse 12. Highlight the loving words of Paul here. Highlight the loving words of Paul here. Bring up my children up here as well, please. Bring them all up here. I want to close out here. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole, way, the whole way and emasculate themselves. Do you see what Paul said? You can watch my children walk up here or you can look at the scripture. Which one do you want to do? You guys want to watch them? Okay, let's watch them all walk up here. We'll get back to the scriptures in just a minute. Thank you. Nancy, can you come up with them as well? Thank you. Come on up here. You guys stand up here. Thank you. We're going to close in just a little bit praying for our families, asking God to do something great this new year. But I feel a sense of somberness after bringing you back to the Old Testament, understanding how precious the new covenant is. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Emasculation means to cut off every part of your male genitalia or at least the reproductive parts of it, you know. He is saying that to these people because they have caused so much problems. He's basically saying, I wish they would cut themselves off and get out of your church, cut off their genitalia, do whatever it takes, and just get away from you. How much do you think Paul loved the people of Galatia to tell them that, that, that harsh truth right there? Do you think he's doing that because he doesn't love them? Or do you think he's doing it because he cares for them? You know, the Bible says, and we read it uh, prior to this, he said, how I wish that Christ was formed in you. As children, he's using the language of formation. He says, I wish that Christ was formed in you, but you're missing it. You see, he wanted to give them that picture of family and of spiritual growth, going from maybe not so much a babe, but you get him almost like a toddler age, to a little bit older, getting to elementary, to getting to preteen. He wanted them to keep growing in their faith. And then let me get my two daughters up here as well, please, because I actually have a teenager. Let's give it up for these two right here. Amen. Thank you. And so come in order of age, please, and do like start with Bethany, and then you guys move their way down. What he wanted to do was bring the order to the house of God and have them begin to grow. Get in the nice line here for me. Thank you. Look at my beautiful family. I never thought I'd have a family like this. I'm so blessed. So blessed all because of you. Amen. Can you stand on that side right there just to complete it? Thank you. See, God wants us to grow and develop spiritually. 
He wants us to go through each one of our stages and not involve the harshness and the false religions and the beliefs of false teachers and of people who think they're going to add to our Christianity but are really going to take it away. He wants us to guard our freedom. And so what I'm supposed to do as the head of my house is I'm supposed to guard the freedom of my children. I'm supposed to make sure that they stand free in Christ. Now, does that mean I don't teach them rules and things to obey? No, there's still laws. There is a law in the New Testament. It's not the law of Moses. We're actually going to read about it. It's called the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is summarized in loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. That's why we have it as the primary vision of our church, loving God and loving people. But what can happen in Christianity is you can be deceived. As a Christian, to either go back to sin or to go into legalism. And if you go into sin, it will cut you off from Christ. Your sin will become your slave master. And you'll begin to live by what makes you feel good in those moments and those things that you're doing instead of trusting God. And then on the flip side of that coin, that other ditch, is the one that says, I'm just going to do whatever I have to do to be more religious, to be more impressive spiritually. I'm going to pray more and do all these things. And then they start to make a religion that's outside of the Scripture, and they misplace, which could even be good things like prayer, reading the Bible, going to church. They begin to misplace those things and become a slave to them. And what Christ wants us to do is to stay free and to look at being his family and in his home as a father. Think about this. I'm just going to play the role that God sets up right now so everybody can see it. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that God is like our father, but he's also like our husband, right? He marries the bride of Christ. So in that way, he's like our husband. I'm getting married again to a man. Can I hear an amen? But there's nothing sexual about it. I'm getting married to Christ as the church, as it's shown in that feminine attribute. The beauty of this body of Christ is, is, is shown in the female beauty. And so that's why we see the, the, the female represents a part of Christ just as the male does. And so we become the bride of Christ. But then in another sense, what is he also to me? He's also a father to me. Right? He's also a parent. So as I parent my kids, as I am a husband to my wife, I need to do it in God's ways. With, with, I mean, with God's uh, word and not in my own sin, not trying to do things in my own temper or my own demeanor, my own ways. This is how I was raised. And not in legalism. Well, this, this is what we got to do because, you know, so-and-so does it. And if they don't watch Disney, Disney movies, we're not watching Disney movies. Right? Come on. Some of us have been influenced by people like that. So you have to now look at your family and look at your life and what you're going home to this year and to start putting God first in everything that you do. Amen? Some of you are single moms. So what it's going to look like is just right up here. There's not a husband there. There's not a father there. But you need to ask God to be that parent to them in the masculine sense to teach them the strong things of God. Not that you need to change your demeanor as a mother, but you need to teach them the strong things from the perspective that God gave as a man. You need to show them. God is going to judge you. That's why they always say, you know, somebody goes to prison, the mom's always the one showing up, you know. You need to show them that there's going to come a time where motherly compassion won't get them through in life. As a single mom, you need to ask God to give you that strength to give them the words of the man and the masculine side of this Christian faith that comes with judgment and so forth. And don't get me wrong, I know mama spank as well, but they need to understand that there is a strong side coming, okay? 
Then there are others of you, you don't have any children. You're just here. You're just here right now. You're in this place dating. Some of those who are not dating or married, you're just feeling really bad right now. We're going to get to you. Just hold on. I'm going to stand here by myself in just a moment, okay? But you need to know how to stay free in Christ, in your marriage, in your dating or engagement relationship, and appreciate what God is doing in between you. Because one of the things that Nancy and I had to learn when we first got married is that we had different ideas of what would be sin for us, what would be legalism for us. We had different ways of living out our Christianity. See, for me, I don't celebrate Christmas. I haven't. And that was one of the things we actually talked about in marriage counseling was, are you okay with my rule not to celebrate Christmas with the family? Also, I didn't want to send my kids to public school. Nothing wrong with that. I really want to affirm Christians in public school. And I said, but are you okay staying at home? Homeschooling. Now, how many know that's a big ask for a woman to think about when she's dating a man? We had only been dating, what, about six months at that time? Not even that. And she had to then decide, am I willing to marry a man that's not going to ever want me, I don't like to use the word let, but just not want me and the kids to celebrate Christmas and will want me to homeschool them? At that point, if she didn't want to do it, she was free. She could be as free as she wants. She could say, "Uh uh-uh. With the moment these kids get old enough, I'm sending them on the bus. They're going right to school. I'm free. I'm getting my manis and petties. Not saying all moms do that who send the kids to school. But she could have did that. She could have said, uh-uh, no, I'm not doing it. And then Christmas, I'm not giving up Christmas. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Of course I'm not giving up Christmas. And that could have been it. There could have been none of this. We could have lost it all over Christmas. Are you listening to me? And then, thank you, just come stand over there. There was a time when this didn't exist. I was just a single man. I was a bachelor to the rapture, as I like to say. And some of you here are single as well. And this is it. I mean, your sphere of influence is literally where you set your feet down. I mean, it's just you. Uh, you got to start there. And of course, you can reach other people. You can be uncles and aunts to others and big brothers and sisters. Trust me, you need to multiply your influence. But this, for some of you, this is Christianity. It's right here. It's like when I watched the movie Hitch and Will Smith tried to teach him to dance and he tried to do the running man and he said, no, 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 this is you. This is you right here. Just right here in this two-step. You draw a little circle and you just stay right here. That's what it is for some single people that don't have any children. I forgot the single dads, but apply that from the moms to you bring the feminine side. But listen, some of you, some singles are just right here. This is where you're going to be. That's it. You're not ready to dance. You're not ready to get you one of those or to, to have the opposite sex. You're not ready to take on all this responsibility. And I say that in all humility because God told me I wasn't ready for a decade. Some of you are single for a reason. That was me. That, uh, God said, you're not ready. I don't trust you with one like this. You're going to break her heart and put, you know, put so much stress on her, and you're not ready to have these because imagine having me at the more intense years of my life. These are the gracious, gray-haired, soft years of my life. And then some of you are single not just for a reason but for a season. It's not like God is disciplining you. It's not like he's teaching you. uh, You know, he's going to use it for your good, but I don't want you to feel like it's necessarily a lesson time. It's just God just wants you to be single. And during that time, you just need to love the Lord, be free, discipline yourself, live for God, and don't allow things to distract you. Amen? So whether or not you're in a family environment, single, single mom, single dad, let us all this year live free in Christ. Amen? Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus? Amen. Thank you, family. Let's close it out. Band and altar workers, would you come, please?